Missionary Enrichment Weekend. We have a great time planned for everyone. Um, we've got this event tonight. Uh, there will be some more details about what's happening tomorrow night. And then we'll have our, our Sunday service um, with everyone on Sunday. Amen. Let, let's go to our great God in prayer. Let's, let's start everything up. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your love and patience with us. Thank you for creating the institution of marriage. God, thank you for giving us our spouses, our husbands and the wives. Um, setting us up, God, so that we can bring glory to you, God. We pray that as the events of this weekend go on, God, that they will be inspirational. That they will challenge us to be better than we are now. God, that we will draw others to you, God, as we become the scriptures that other folks read. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, we are thrilled to be able to be here. Please have a seat. Especially to be able to have all the way from southern Connecticut, that far away, Jeff and Florence Sackinger. But actually, it has nothing to do with distance. Uh, we would have brought them if they lived in L.A. Jeff and we've known Jeff and Florence for quite some time. We are really excited to be able to introduce our guest speakers uh, for this marriage program. Uh, Jeff and Florence Sackinger from uh, Southern Connecticut. They lead the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ and have for quite a while. I'll let Teresa share a few things here. Yeah, um, I'm so thrilled that they're going to share with us today. I've heard some of these things that they're going to share with us in another conference, and they're just amazing. But I met both of them 30 years. I became a Christian about 30 years ago, and I met them when I started coming out to church in the performing arts ministry in Manhattan, and Florence was a dancer, and Jeff's a saxophone player, and oh, you know, they're awesome. But anyway, so... Uh, when I met them, they were newly married. I think you were just leading a Bible talk. You weren't in the ministry yet. And they became such special friends and mentors to me, like professionally, spiritually, in every way, just role models in every way in my life and in the ministry. And they've always inspired me through all these years with their heart to serve God and serve people uh, with, all, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, they just give everything to helping others and to serving God. And they have 30 years of experience in the ministry, leading churches in New York, in Tennessee, and now in Connecticut. So they have really helped so many people. And uh, you've helped me too. And I'm grateful. So. And we are blessed to have landed them. They have been married over 31 years. Not only that, they've uh, they've offered uh, authored a book, building emotional intimacy in their in your marriage, and uh, it's been selling all over the place. They have done marriage retreats and seminars all over the United States and even abroad. Uh, personally, they have three kids. Uh, they've got a wonderful teenage daughter with them in their home in Connecticut, and then they have two grown sons that are both married. They're both disciples, and uh, they're expecting their first grandchild in March. I can't even imagine that you're going to be referred to as grandma and grandpa or grandma and grandpa. Yep, amazing. You look way too young for that. So we are very blessed to have them. They are here to present our marriage uh, workshop. And for tonight, let's welcome Jeff and Florence Sackinger.
Well, greetings. It is great to be here. It's good to be in Westchester again. We did leave this ministry, well, the, the Westchester, not the lower. We led the Westchester ministry for several years. That was 16 years ago. And uh, a lot of you guys are still here, which is a really, really great thing. But we're excited about talking about marriage. We're going to have a great time tonight talking about it. We're going to have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, hopefully the things that we share with you will uh, impact you in a way to, to perhaps make you think a little differently about your marriage. Amen. I just want to say thank you um, for letting us come. I know it's you know Friday night. There's a lot of things you could be doing. You ran from work to get here, so I'm very grateful you're here. Hopefully we can hold your attention, and uh, hopefully we'll share some things from our heart and our marriage personally that will inspire you guys and just give you a conviction that marriage is so important and that we really need to fight uh, to have not an ordinary love. I promise to love, honor, and respect you. I promise to love, cherish, and protect you. From this day forward. Till death do us part. I remember our wedding day. It was awesome. I mean, my dress was gorgeous, and all of the flowers were so beautiful. And everybody that I loved was there, you know, all of my family. And the day was just amazing. I mean, it was good. It was really, really good. And there was this moment right before I walked down the aisle, and I remember looking up to God and just feeling so thankful for this man that he had given me. I was scared to death. Seriously, I thought I was going to pee my pants. I mean, I don't usually get in front of people like that, let alone wearing a tux. <laughs> Come on. I, I forgot to go to the bathroom before the ceremony started, and, and I kept thinking, don't pee yourself, and don't lock your knees, and keep breathing. And then all of a sudden, I looked up. And there she was. She took my breath away. I never wanted it back. Our honeymoon was amazing. I mean, we went to a tropical island, and it was just a whole week of relaxing, and we got to walk on the beach a lot and just spend time together. We were just so in love. We went to the street vendors, you know, and, and we were looking around at stuff, and we didn't have a lot of money, but I picked up this amber necklace, and I put it up against her skin. And I knew she had to have it because she was worth it. And, and then, then we, we went, went home. home. Once we got home, it was like something strange started to happen. I mean, it was like aliens came into our bedroom, scooped out his brain, and filled it with gummy bears. Yeah. Okay, well, you know we have a dishwasher, right? What? Yeah, yeah, and you're really good at it too, sweetheart. Um, could you not interrupt me when I'm watching TV, or at least wait till a commercial? You see what I mean? Gummy bears. After the honeymoon, I had a sneaking suspicion that she was sneaking out at night and taking night classes at some college on some foreign language because everything she said made zero sense. Do you like this shirt on me? Yeah, looks good. So you don't like the color? What? If you don't like the color, just say you don't like the color. I mean, I don't even know why I try to look nice for you. Wait, what just happened here? Why don't you think I'm pretty? Why? Well, hold on. I do think you're pretty. Well, you never say it. I'm sorry. I think you're pretty. Well, you can't say it now. I just told you to say it. I what? mean, that totally doesn't even count. But wait, how am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to say unless you tell me what I'm supposed to say? I can't believe you don't love me anymore. I wonder some days what I ever saw in him. Did you know in the mornings when she wakes up, her breath will melt your face off? He farts? and then holds my head under the covers. That's not okay. Honestly, I'm a little scared because I think I might have married my mother. 
Well, he wouldn't have to act like his mother if he didn't act like a child. I mean, close the refrigerator door, pick up your shoes, take out the garbage. Seriously, how hard is it to obey? She can't cook. I think she's slowly trying to poison me with her food. Okay, two words. Road rage. Two words. Shopaholic. Have I mentioned he still has his comic book collection from junior high? Did I mention that she still makes fun of me for having a comic book collection from junior high? He's addicted to television. She's addicted to purses. And I don't understand this, but for some reason she manages to lose every purse she owns in the house. Seriously, how hard is it to lose something this big? I thought we were supposed to be on the same team. Uh, I'm still on the same team. Apparently you defected, started playing for some other team that you made up in your mind. That doesn't even make any sense. Well, you don't make any sense. Well, your gummy bears don't make any sense. Oh, you're stupid. Well, you're stupid. Well, you made me this way. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. The purpose of marriage isn't to make us happy. It's to make us holy, as we become more like him. I promise to love, honor, and respect you as you become more like him. And I promise to love, cherish, and protect you as you grow to become more like him. Like him. Just like him. It's not going to be easy. No, it's not going to be easy. But it is good. And anything that good is always worth fighting for. The very simple question, why did you get married? What were your expectations in getting married? And what are your expectations for your marriage right now? However many years it's been. What kind of vision did you have for your marriage when you first got married? And what kind of vision do you have for your marriage right now? So why do people even get married? Why do people in the world get married? Some very common reasons why people in the world get married. That you love this person and you want to spend the rest of your life with them. That's a good reason. Well, maybe society says it's the right thing to do. That's what mature people, together people do. They get married. Maybe you're trying to please your parents. Maybe they say, why, why aren't you married yet? And so people get married. Maybe wanting to settle down and start a family. It's a good reason. Maybe being more in love with the thought of being married than the person that you're marrying. That happens a lot. Maybe you don't want to lose this person. And even though you're not 100% in love with them and you're not 100% that you want to have this marriage, you marry them anyway because you're afraid you're going to lose them. These things happen. What are God's thoughts about marriage? Well, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God is very busy. He's got a busy week. He's creating the animals and, and all the things and the, the plants and, and night and day and the water and all of it. And then he gets around and he creates mankind. He, he makes Adam. But then he comes to a very quick realization. And in Genesis 2.18 it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And amen to that. But who was that, that suitable help? suitable helpmate? That was Eve. Well, after performing a little surgery, he now had his wife. And in verse 24 it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. 
So what was that reason again? It was a partnership. Adam needed help. And let's face it, we all need help. Whether you've been married one year or 50 years, we all need help in our marriages. And so the goal tonight is to talk about our marriages, to learn about our marriages, to get some help, to work on our marriages, and to understand that we're all in this together. And we're going to fight together. We're going to have some fun while we're doing it. So a few years ago, there was a movie called Couples Retreat, if any of you ever saw it. So in the movie, there are these, these couples. There's, there's one particular couple that's going through a divorce. And they're not sure whether they want to get the divorce or not. And so they consider marriage therapy. But they, they trick three of their friends, three other couples, to go on a marriage retreat weekend with them. And they all think it's just for fun and laughs until they get there. And there they find out that the agenda really is to work on your marriage. And it's something they're totally not prepared to do. And so in this first scene, they begin to look a little bit closer at where things really are in their marriage. How would you describe your relationship? Average, great. Average. I mean, great. And to clarify, what is an average, great relationship? Uh, Well, we we make it through things pretty good together. You know, we have two great kids. No one's called 911 in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's not domestic violence and it's just... Ronnie, when you say you make it through things together, what do you mean? Well, you know. Uh, the usual stuff. Work, kids. I'm much less interested in the usual stuff and much more interested in your particular stuff. So, what do you make it through together specifically? Well, um, right now, specifically, uh, Dave is uh, dealing with his new launch of, of his video game, Guitar Hero. <laughs> he sells Guitar Hero. And um, I am dealing with the renovation. That's that's interesting. What, what, why do you keep writing stuff down on your little pad there? Oh, I'm taking notes. <laughs> would it make you more comfortable if I didn't take notes? Yeah, actually, it would make me more comfortable. Thank you. And once people knew what we were going through, I think my cortisol levels just shot up through the roof <laughs> because it's difficult to go through a very private struggle publicly. Um, I heard what you think, but you know what I'm really interested in is hearing about how you feel. Just tell her how you feel. Well, I think if you looked at everything... No, 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 no. Just don't explain intellectually how you feel. You know, just tell her how you feel. One word. Sure. Angry? Cynthia? Uh... Judged. Very good. Yes? Progress. Excited. <laughs> Relieved. <laughs> that is it. Yeah. We're off awesome my feeling. Okay. <laughs> nice job today, guys. Great That's job. all for today. That's all for oh, today. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. great. How, how did we do? Did we do good? I mean, we're going to make it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is our first session. You know, we're not looking for an end result here. It's not a competition. I get all that. But have you seen couples that are worse off than us? Yeah. Or are we that far gone? Where are you going to put a, like a numerical value on it? You know, Doc, like a 1 to 10, 1 being worse, 10 being best. Now, hang on one second. Where, where would you put us? 
right where you are, sir. What if someone put a gun to your head right now and said you have to answer this second or I'll shoot? Are they going to make it? What do you say? Huh? What would you say? Whoa. Okay, no one has a gun to my head, Mr. Smith. It's hypothetical. It's not a place for inappropriate behavior. And you definitely don't pull a hypothetical gun on your therapist. It's okay. Let's clear the karma, okay? I'll holster this. So, you know, I work 10 hours a day, so by the time I come home, I'm exhausted. It's not that I don't want to answer questions about the house renovation. I really just don't want to answer questions about anything. But, you know, you may just be shutting your mind off. Um, but it can feel like you're shutting your partner off as well. Again, that's a cautionary. And just as a point of interest, when you speak that way, David, you're really deprioritizing your teammate. Excuse me? It's called crossing emotional boundaries. Or more commonly, bulldozing. And it's ugly. Ronnie, when you spoke earlier, uh, let me just find it in my notes here. <laughs> there it is. Uh, you said we make it through things well together. That doesn't sound very fun. You don't want to look back and say, I made it through my life. We want to enjoy our friendships, enjoy our work week. We want to enjoy our lives, celebrate our lives. And all this talk about my project and his work and my this and his that and mine and his and mine and his, it's, where's us in all that? Where's our journey? I don't hear it. And it's because it's not there. Listen, I'm not saying that, that there's not some really stressful times sometimes because there is, but it works for us. Does it? I don't know. Oh, gosh, I don't know you guys. There's no us. There's no we. You two could be perfect strangers. I think the one thing that we can agree on today is that you guys should be doing a lot better than just works. Pretty sure that's why you're here. Oh, that's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you. No, no. So how is your marriage? Right. <laughs> so these guys go on this little marriage retreat, and they find out pretty quickly that they've got some stuff to work on. Mm -hmm. And they think it's probably okay where it is, but the therapist brings up a good point. Is it, is it really working? I mean, it seems to be functioning, but is it really what you want? How is your marriage honestly? I want you to think about that. You ever find yourself saying, well, you know, it works, we're busy, there's a lot going on, but you know what, it's, it's okay. Do you clearly see where it's at? Do you know the condition it's in? Is it really where you want it to be? Is it really where you know it should be, what God would expect your Christian marriage to be like? You know, this year we've been married 31 years, and I can honestly say that I'm more in love with this woman, and I love our marriage more than I ever have before. Yes. Amen. We don't take it for granted, but we think about it a lot. How's it going? Is it working? Is it just working? Can we go beyond that? Yeah. And I'm more into our marriage now than I've ever been in the 31 years that we've been married. But I can honestly say it's not always been that way. Right. We've had some very rough times. What we've learned about intimacy, and especially emotional intimacy, has really turned us around 180 degrees. And I don't know exactly where all your marriages are at. But if you can take some time to focus on the emotional intimacy in your marriage, how we connect, how we disconnect, what can we do to, to connect better, 
I believe it will turn your marriages around. However great you might think it is, things can be, can be better. When you look at our marriage, it wasn't great. Several years ago, we did a lot of soul searching. And we really thought about where are things at. And we learned some things about ourselves. And we learned some things about our marriage. We were very busy. Being in the ministry is busy. I know you're busy. It's probably no busier than your life. So we've all got a lot going on. If you've got a commute, and you've got kids, and you've got a tough schedule, and you've got, you know, things going on every which way, and then you've got church, you've got midweek and Bible talking, you've got a lot of things happening. What we noticed with all of our busyness was that our marriage was suffering. And it was taking a back seat to everything else that was going on in our lives. And we were like the couple in the video. Hey, you know, it works. And most people would have looked at our marriage and said, yeah, it's working fine. And to some degree it was, but it wasn't stellar. It was not in a great place. Now, it wasn't in a bad place. We weren't calling 911 in the middle of the night. There were no fights, no frying pans going across the bed, nothing like that. There were no bad feelings between us. But what we realized was that there just weren't enough good feelings. It wasn't what it could be. It was stale. It was tired. I knew I loved her, but I didn't always feel that. It was more intellectual than it was emotional. And what we had found was that in our marriage, there was a pretty deep emotional void. We were detached emotionally, although still functioning quite well. And there would be times I would find her crying. And, you know, I'm a fixer. I want to fix things. A lot of guys are like that. And so I would come in and say, honey, what's wrong? Let's talk. And she wouldn't even know how to verbalize it. This happened at home. It also happened in the car. We'd be driving, and she'd be looking out the side window, and she'd be crying. She didn't really know what it was. I didn't know what it was. And it took a lot of talking and a lot of prayer to realize we're just detached. We're so busy in life, but we're not busy with each other. And I would feel helpless, and I would feel frustrated. And I realized that we had lost touch with each other's emotional needs. And the marriage was not doing well. And we had to do something about it. Ephesians 5.31 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You know, marriage is all about connecting. And we understand the, the need for a physical connection in a marriage. But what about the emotional connection? Do we see how important that is? Or what a big need that is in our marriage? You know, our experience, we've done a lot of marriage counseling and work over the years. Our experience is that the number one reason why marriages suffer, the reason why they become dull and stale and boring and in trouble, is that there's a lack of emotional connection. They may not be fighting. They're not calling 911. And everybody on the outside says, it looks really good. But there's a lack, there's a disconnect, there's a lack of connection. If your marriage is not really where you would like it to be right now, and if you're just functioning and saying, hey, for us it works, but it's not stellar, if that's where you're at, then I really want you to consider maybe we have a connection problem. And I want to really urge you to take a serious look at the level of emotional connection that you have with each other. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work. 
we realized when our marriage many years ago was not doing well, that it was not going to be us fixing it, but that it was going to be God fixing it. We're going to have a Christian marriage. It's going to be God-centered, and Christ is going to get in the middle of it, and that's where the the repair for the power is going to be. God is an amazing giver. And God wants us to experience all the gifts that he could possibly shower on us to the full extent. Your marriage is something to treasure. It's something to enjoy. It's something that you need to protect. And God is more than capable of taking the two of you, no matter what the level of connectivity or disconnectivity might be there, that God can take the two of you and mold you together into a haven of intimacy. And isn't that really what you want? Isn't that why you got married in the first place? Scares a lot of guys. The women love it. But let's face it, guys. That is what you want. You may not be quite sure how to get there. Maybe we can help you tonight. But that's what we want. We all desire intimacy, but do we really see the need for intimacy? And I think God has, has knit that into us. God has woven that into us. You desire intimacy with God, right? That's why you became a Christian. You didn't just decide, I want to go to church now, or I want to go to a Bible talk. You said, I want an intimate relationship with God. And so you studied the Bible, and you prayed, and you worked on things, and you had to repent of a lot of stuff. And you, 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 you prayed, God, please help me get closer to you. You repented of your sins. You got baptized so those sins could be forgiven. That ushered in a door, that opened up a door. For you to be closer to God than you've ever imagined. Are you willing to put the same level of effort into your marriage that you put into becoming a Christian? I had to fight and claw to become a Christian. You probably did too. We need to be willing to fight and claw to have a great marriage and to be emotionally connected. You know, in Ephesians 3, Paul is on his knees and he's praying for that emotional connection. We need to do the same on your knees praying for the emotional connection in your marriage and ask God to help you experience all the things that God could possibly give you in a marriage. Um, In in a room like this, our marriages are probably at very different places. um, And we might feel like your situation or you might feel like your situation is unique. Uh, But then we end up talking we find out really we all struggle with a lot of the same things. And... Hopefully tonight you'll see we can relate. We can relate to the bumps, the difficulties, the strains, and the challenges that every new station in your marriage brings. And there's things that you can struggle with in the beginning that later on you think, I can't believe we struggle with that. And then there comes a new one after that, usually that comes along with children. Uh, We can also say, though, that marriage is incredible. It brings great joy. Uh, It's a wonderful gift. It brings rewards. Um, But it's a challenge to make sure it doesn't just become ordinary where it just becomes functioning. It's very easy to grow apart. It's very easy to become distant. It's very easy to become indifferent with each other. We end up just cohabitating. Um, As we go through life's trials, we get distracted. We get distracted by circumstances. We get distracted by many different things in life. And the impact of those hard times or those trials are just different things that go on in our lives. Uh, don't always have a positive impact on our marriage. And I think sometimes we can be oblivious to that, and we just keep rolling, and we don't realize what's happening. And it does become, like Jeff said, ordinary, dull, and it's just not a priority. 
The thing I love about God is God always elevated the ordinary. He always used ordinary. And he took ordinary and he made it extraordinary. And I believe that's what God can do with our marriages. And that's what we need to look for is to not be the same as everybody else around us. We're not better than anybody because we're Christians, because we're disciples. But we have something so special and we need to protect it. Uh, God's plan was always for us to shine like a light, not, not to blend in. Again, not to be better, but to really have something different. And it takes a lot of work. And like Jeff said, it takes work to stay close to God. You know, we've been disciples a long time. It takes work to stay intimate with God. It also takes work to stay intimate with your spouse. And and tonight we are going to talk a lot about emotional intimacy because we believe it's the key uh, to a deeper, uh, amazing love that you can have. And a lot of people want to know, well, what does that mean? Because when you talk about intimacy, most people think of, you know, the sexual relationship. And we're actually not going to talk about that at all. Um, But a lot of times there's problems in that area if you don't have the emotional intimacy that we crave and desire. And so what emotional intimacy is, is it's just creating a closeness that only can come from sharing your feelings and your emotions and your experiences and how they affect affect you inside. And a lot of times we will ignore this need or we'll downplay it. Or a lot of times, especially what women do, is we go other places to be filled up. And that's wrong. And we'll go around our husbands because we think they don't get it. He doesn't understand. I can't talk to him on that level. And we end up going around them. And that's a really bad thing. We can go to girlfriends and develop a really intimate relationship with girls, especially women in the church. And we need to have close relationships, but that's not supposed to be our most intimate uh, relationship when we have a spouse. We can go around our our spouse and we can go to our kids. They're easy. You know, you're there, you're breastfeeding them, you you know, oh, they love you unconditionally. Well, at some points until they become teenagers sometimes, but then... You know, you can get your emotional needs met from your children. I've seen women get their needs met from pets, from careers, from, then it gets sinful, then from another guy at work. You know, that's how things begin. And we go around the one that we should feel the most intimate with, and we try to get it filled other places. We don't do this purposely. It's what just happens when it's not happening in your marriage. For the, for the men, what happens is it's just so highly discouraged by society. You know, guys at work aren't talking about, oh, are you emotionally close to your wife? That's just not the, the cop, you know, topic at the, at the water fountain. And we, don't, we have a lot of men have never seen that. They've never seen an example of it. Uh, they are actually talk quite opposite. You know, you don't need to go there or all the men will talk. We can talk about, you know, sports. We're not going to talk about what they talk about. And so I think it's, it's really crucial that we learn how to express our, our deepest parts of our hearts Revealing what really matters to us, what hurts us, what makes me feel insecure, what makes you feel insecure, what are you afraid about, here's what I'm afraid about. That's what builds intimacy and strength in a marriage. And a lot of times it's our fear that stops us from going there. Because we're afraid if I open up, you know, what's he going to think or what's she going to think or what is she going to think if I don't know how to open up and there's a bunch of fear that paralyzes us. Uh, For women, a lot of times, we want to rush into it. Come on, hurry up, be emotional. And we try to push the guy to do it. But we've got to be really willing to go there or you're going to end up just in an argument about it. That's not what we're trying to accomplish tonight. But you've got to go there with God. I think one of the most important things is that we need to recognize we need God's help. 
And we need to ask him, God, help me to let down my fears, my insecurities, whatever it is that's stopping me from having the intimate relationship emotionally that I want with my husband or my wife. So there's a TV show called Homes on Homes. Have you ever seen that before? Okay, it's like an HGTV type thing. But in the show, there's this guy named Mike Holmes. And he, he interviews these, these homeowners. He finds these homeowners, these unsuspecting homeowners, that get themselves in houses that have a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And so when they're in this, this house, they, 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 they bring this guy, Mike Holmes, in, and he does a thorough inspection. He goes all through the house. He takes a look, and then he tells them what they need to hear. And it's usually really bad news because you think the house is pretty good. But you know it's got some issues. He says, oh, man, there's, there's stuff that, you know, you don't even want to talk about right now, but you have to hear it. And getting the house in good shape is a three-step process. There's inspection, there's demolition, and there's renovation. So what does that have to do with marriage? Well, your marriage is somewhat of a construction project, isn't it? Because there's always something you're working on. And there's always things in your marriage that need attention. There's always stuff that has to be tended to. And to get it and to keep it in really good shape requires that same process. And the first step is inspection. There's a scripture in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 15. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and I re-entered through the valley gate. And so when Nehemiah went out to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, the first thing he did was, I got to take a really careful look. Where are the issues? A thorough inspection. And it's really important in your marriage to take stock of where it is right now. Where are we connecting? Where do we have a disconnect? And that takes conversation. Not just a little chit-chat over dinner, but it takes a real deep heart-to-heart talking. And for a lot of people, that's not easy. Root canal would be easier than having a real heart-to-heart talk, especially husbands with wives. And I know it's necessary and it's needed and it's essential and it's doable Yes, men, even for you. You can't have that level of conversation. You know, most guys are not natural talkers, at least not with their wives. We can be really good with each other, right? We can talk about sports. We can talk about politics. We can talk about business. But then when it gets to that real heart-to-heart conversation with our wives, it's like we develop this double case of amnesia and laryngitis, right? The mind goes blank. And the tongue is stilled. And we don't know where to go. And we're sitting there trying to have this, this deep conversation, and we just don't know how to do it. Now, I know this because I was one of those guys. I was not a deep talker with my wife. And it's not because I was afraid, but honestly, I was clueless. How do I get to that level, and I know I need to be at that level, with this woman right here? And I knew that if we were going to get ourselves out of the the dull, flat place we were in, it was going to take us really talking about what's on our hearts, what's really going on inside. So in this next little clip we're going to see, our couples learn that they very well might have some communication problems. And maybe you've been there. How was your night? My husband found himself in a very traumatic shark situation. Here we go. 
as we were planning to go to the waterfall and have a romantic evening because, as you know, we don't do that very often because of the kids and work. But somehow this, this crazy, traumatic shark experience was, was enough to make him neglect his wife. Ronnie, nice to meet you. Well said. David, how did that make you feel? I know my truth. Excuse me? I know my truth. Did you say I know my truth? Oh, boy. Listen, I'm telling you, you getting on my last nerve. Yo, I didn't sign up for this. Yo, you said we was going to be dancing. You said we was going to be partying. You said we was going to be doing what we do. We made promises, Daddy. Well, well, look, you got me doing a lot of activities. What do you expect from me? I'm tired. You tired? Yo, I'm tired. Plain and simple, I ain't having it. Sometimes we forget how to do the easiest thing in the world, which is just to talk to each other. Okay, let's start here. Uh, Lucy, you go first. I want you to look at Joey and say hi. And Joey, after you've heard that, I want you to look back at Lucy and say hello in return. And then we, we'll just see where it goes from there, okay? kept saying open and fruitful and other weird stuff that's not feeling it's just more talking in short half sentences and you managed to turn feeling into a job or an activity and it was exhausting so now it's my fault that you don't feel satisfied everything is, is my fault is that what you're saying i'm not saying crazy. that you don't look at me you don't ever ask me I how work. i am you I'm, haven't looked at me in 10 years i'm crazy and everything is my fault and my family is awful and nothing at all it's your fault, because you rock, If Joey. a guy talked to me like that, I'd punch him in the face. <laughs> there's, a, there's a good talk and there's a bad talk. Yeah. But we need to focus on having the good talk. Right. you got to make time to talk. And I'm not talking about, you know, a little quick thing in the morning or uh, a couple of words before you go to bed at night. But you got to work out time that you can really sit and have some serious conversation we make the time we make it a priority in our schedule we do stuff day and night with people with the church but we unless it's an emergency basically cut everything off at around like 9 or 9 30 and that's our time and we sit and we talk and we do whatever it takes to make that time happen because in the summer we'll sit on the, the porch of our house and people know not to bother us people know not to call us our kids used to know when they were home and now Fiona knows not to, not to interrupt that time unless it's really, really important. And in that time, we share our day, we share our feelings, we share our thoughts, stuff that's on our heart, what's going on. We share about marriage or family issues, stuff we want to talk about our marriage. We talk about victory. Sometimes we have a, a specific agenda. Sometimes we don't. We talk about struggles, things that, that are going on in our hearts. We've talked about goals. What are your goals in life? What are my goals in life? What do we want to do together? Why is something important to you and maybe not so important to me? How can we make things important to both of us? What matters to you? Why doesn't that matter to me? Let's be on the same plane with that. What's going to bring us closer? And we do this most every night. There are times when we have to alter that if there's a situation that comes up. But pretty much that's our routine. And we talk about whatever's important at the time. And that, that talk time allows us to really get into each other's hearts and find out what's going on in there. And so I want to urge you to, to start that. 
we do it for maybe 30, 45 minutes, sometimes longer. You might not feel like you have that time, or maybe there's no way we could talk for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. That's fine. Start with 15 minutes. Say, honey, we're going to have a talk time every night, and we're going to share our thoughts and our feelings, and maybe really awkward at first. But I promise you, as you do it, and as you get closer to each other, and you get to know each other, you're going to love that time. You're going to look forward to it. It's a valuable time. Guard it. Keep it sacred. No distractions. Turn the phone off. TV off. No multitasking. You're not on the computer. There's no, there's no kids. It's your special time to talk with Jesus. Uh, part of the inspection process is, you know, usually they're going in and they're trying to figure out what's really going on there. And that's why the talk time is so important because our lives are so busy we need to stop for a few minutes just to be able to inspect and really get to understand each other. Do you really understand your spouse? You can't really do that by just kind of passing like two ships. Um, the only way you can do that is to have conversation. That's, that's how you got to know your spouse to begin with, um, connecting on a heart level consistently through having that talk time. And, you know, we've heard every excuse in the book. Um, we allow things to get in the way. We have to make a decision. Nothing will get in the way. It's just not a priority, or we're afraid. If we start talking, we're going to argue. That's when we hear all the time. Well, it's like, all right, make a decision. Then maybe you maybe need to argue for a little bit to figure out what's really going on inside. God's going to give you opportunities if you start praying. He'll, he'll, he'll make it happen for you. And he'll also allow things to happen. A lot of times, the difficult things that happen day in and day out are the very things we need to be really talking about and not stuffing down deep inside. Sometimes it's the most painful, challenging times that can actually build the most intimacy. Uh, for, the, for the women, we have to be careful because we can allow our emotions to take over and overwhelm our husbands completely. Um, and then end up talking over them and talking for them. You, you, I'm sure you feel this way uh, when they may not feel that way at all. Um, so we start doing, you know, we, we try to be both, and that's not right because we end up shutting them down. We've got to learn how to be patient with the process of really learning how to have this kind of connection uh, and make have realistic expectations. I think a lot about in Romans chapter 2, one of my favorite scriptures, where it talks about God was so patient and so merciful with us and that helped us to change. And I know in my home, I want it to be a patient, merciful place so change can happen. Uh, I know myself, I had to learn how to draw Jeff's heart out. I had to learn how to communicate clearly. A lot of times, I didn't even know what I felt. So that wasn't going to help him. I don't know what I feel. I had to figure out, what do I feel? I need to go to God and pray and find out so I can com communicate that to him. Because we've got to go beyond the everyday you know, uh, like air traffic controllers, where basically we're just trying to figure out who's where, how we get in there, pick up something from the store, when are you going to church, who's driving the car, and we become like roommates, or we just co-parent, and we just coexist, and that's, that's just not a marriage. And I want to share with you guys just um, a time where Jeff and I had a conversation that really radically changed the direction of our marriage, and it was one of our talk times. And sometimes we would set up what we're going to talk about, and that can be helpful. Um, sometimes we don't, we don't come up with a topic. Other times we would say, all right, can we talk tonight about this? And we had decided this talk was going to be about future desires. So I was 
very excited about this conversation. So we were sitting on our porch, and he, I said, who wants to go? You know, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? And he said, you go first. So I expressed my heart. I put my heart out there, and I said, well, you know, one of the things I've really been thinking about that really means a lot to me is uh, my, fam- my family connection is important to me. And, you know, my mom is from another country. She's from Scotland, and that's just that heritage is just really, you know, important to me. Uh, my mom came here when she was 21 by herself on a boat from Scotland, left her family behind. And it was also always a, a proud part of me. I'm first generation. Uh, my mom is from somewhere else. Uh, well, when my mom died suddenly at 61, uh, she died in a matter of seven days. I, I wasn't prepared for that at all. And her heritage at that point became really important to me because it was a part of her heart that I could keep. And I was her only daughter, and I, I wanted to be able to pass that on, and all her family was still there, so there was nobody else here in my mind that was going to continue to pass that on. And when you lose somebody, you're so afraid you're going to forget them. You're so afraid everybody's going to forget them. So you want to keep them alive. And so I said to Jeff, I want to take our whole family to Scotland. That is my dream. I want to you know, bring us all there. I know we don't have a lot of money, but I, I was like, I'll sell cookies on the street. I don't care what I have to do, um, but this is my dream. I want my kids to see where their grandma was from. I want them to meet their relatives, and I really want to. I had been praying for the church there for years. I really want to go see the Christians over in Scotland. So I have my big spiel, and Jeff looked at me, and he said, never. We will never be able to do that. And I just sat there, and I just started to cry. I had no words. I just started to cry. And, you know, I learned a valuable lesson. I learned that, you know, when you start to inspect your marriage and you have these times of intimacy, um, sometimes you're going to wish you didn't, you didn't open your heart. At that point, I didn't really want to open I was like, forget it. You just slammed me down. You want, you're going to think, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to go there again because it's going to be painful. And I was, I was so injured. And I realized that after that, though, that you can't give up because love keeps going. So I do remember that conversation. <laughs> it's burned in my brain never to leave, which is probably a good thing. And I do remember my reaction to it. And this was really kind of the beginning of Florence and I, at this point, being married for quite a while, beginning to really understand how each other thinks and how each other functions. And you think, well, wouldn't you know that? And this is not that long ago, maybe 15 years ago or so. I don't know. At that point, we were married for 15 years. But it was beginning to really connect as to to who she was and, and who I was and how we thought. And, you know, Florence has a really, really strong connection with her family. And that's really important that she says. To me, it was completely opposite. You know, I, I have a very small family. I've got a brother and a sister. That's it. That's my whole family. And my brother lives in Arizona. I barely talk to him. My sister lives in Connecticut. I don't really talk to her all that much. And so family connection never really meant a lot to me. Not, not like it does to her. And so when she said, hey, I want to take all of our family. You know, we've got three kids. And, you know, one's married. The other well, two are married now. At that time, one was married. You know, I'm thinking like, ching Like, how, you know, how are we ever going to do this? Because she wanted to just. And I'm like, no, there's no way. We could ever afford that. To me, that was like that was like saying, "Let's take everybody and go to the French Riviera for like a month." I'm like, you know, just, you know come on, be, get real, be serious. How are we ever going to do that? And what happened was in that conversation, in a register later after she was done crying, and I 
realized what a jerk I was, I realized that, you know what? I failed to see how important this was to her. Sometimes we fail to see how important things are to each other because we just kind of think about what's going on in my brain. What do I want to do? So understanding where each other is at. From that point on, we listen. I listen to her because I want to know what's going on in her, in her mind and in her heart. So that's the inspection. Now, after Mike does the inspection on the house, he realizes that you've got issues. The next phase is not really fun but necessary, and that's demolition. And that's where the real work begins. So if you ever watch the show, what he does, he walks in, and the house has issues. And so he rips up floors. He pulls out wiring. He rips out the plumbing. Everything, walls come down. Everything is, is gone. Everything that's bad has to go. And the, 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 the owners of the house are in shock because they thought it was just a little bit of a repair, like just patch the wall. He's like, no, we've got to rip everything out. It's a full-scale demolition. If it's bad, it's got to go. When we bought the house we live in now about 13, 14 years ago, we liked it, but there was no flow. You walked in, it's, a, it's, it's an older house, and there were like a bunch of walls and little rooms, and we brought in a guy and said, look, we would like this house, but can we tear down a couple of walls and open up a few of these walls? And he looked at it, and they have to do all these surveys, and they have to check all the load-bearing parts of the house. They said, yes. You can tear this wall down and this wall down. So we did that. And the house now has flow. You can walk through it. It makes sense. It didn't make any sense. But the people that owned it thought it was fine. They got used to the walls and the barriers. You know, sometimes in your marriage, you can get used to walls and barriers being up. And you just kind of do like what, the, what the, was said in the, the, the first clip. You know what? It, it just works. You kind of get used to it. And it's easy to get used to those things. And the flow isn't there. And you end up just saying things like, it's good enough. It's as good as it can be. Will it be much better? It's important that you knock down some walls that are standing between you and your spouse. You know the wall is there. Your wife or your husband knows the wall is there. And maybe those walls have been there for years. And you're just so accustomed now to walking around the obstacle. And it might scare you to death. Now, when those guys came to my house, they were like tearing walls down. I'm like, okay, was this the right thing to do? But when it was done, I was glad they did it. It might scare you. There might be walls of sin. There are probably walls of pride. There are probably plenty of walls of fear, maybe fear of exposure. He's going to find out who I really am. She's going to find out what I've been really doing. And it's like, oh, Lord, do I really want to go down this road? But then you look at where you are. Are you happy where it is right now? Is it really where it needs to be right now? Wouldn't you be a lot happier if the wall was down? And there was a lot more flow through your marriage, I think you would be. Maybe those walls have been up for years. It's all right. Start tearing it down. Demolition might be painful. But there are things you have to face if you're going to get to the next level in your marriage. And often
oftentimes, you know what? It takes other people in your life to really help you with that. Because you might feel like, well, I'm blind. I think there's walls there, but I'm not really sure. You know what? What, what, a, what a glory we have in the church. What an amazing gift that God has given us. You've got people in your life that are willing to sit or walk or stand or drive or, or whatever with you and, and listen and help you out. Because you might discover that you've got some issues that you need some help with. In this next little clip, our couples discover that they just might have some issues they've got to deal with. Wait, oh, honey, don't say that. You're just exhausting. I am. I'm so tired of him trying to steer everything in the direction that he thinks is right all the time. Listen, don't make any decisions right now. You guys just need to take a breather, get a little bit of space, you know? You'll be okay. You know, you guys have been on top of each other ever since we got here. <laughs> no, that's uh, actually the one thing that we haven't done. We haven't had sex since we've been here. We've barely even touched each other. Now Cynthia and I are in a terrible spot. I've come to this island, I've come to the program to get some answers, find out my animal spirit. Yeah, let me help you out on the whole animal spirit thing. It's going to be awesome. It always is. It's like if you go to a tarot card reader for past lives, you're always Dave. something cool, like a king or a gunfighter. No one ever finds out that they were like a shopkeeper or... Hilarious to you because it's not to me. Tell you what, if I get kicked off this island, I'm going to blame all of you. And I can't believe I let the two of you derail me. We derailed you? That's correct. If you took a closer eye on Trudy, she wouldn't have strayed so far from the pack, all right? She's not a dog, Jason. Yeah, well, listen, she's been very selfish. She hasn't been a very good teammate, I can tell you that. Look, I made promises, I let her down. You don't know the ins and outs of our relationship. Is that what it is? It's a relationship. It's been two weeks, okay? All right? It's not, not a relationship. It's more like an antibiotic cycle, all right? She should be very happy that she's even here. You're a good guy. You brought her to this island. She shouldn't be running off. She should be doing everything that she can, bending over backwards to make you happy. Don't blame this on Shane. You brought this on yourself. I don't need to hear it from you, okay? It's half your fault. Half his fault, half Trudy's fault, half your fault. Me? Yeah, with the whole canoe scheme, all right? You put me and my wife in a very extreme situation, put tension on the relationship. Your wife left you because you were suffocating her, and now you're suffocating me, and you're suffocating Shane, too. Yeah, don't suffocate me, man. A grown woman literally jumped into shark-infested waters and did a distance swim that she had no way to train for instead of staying in the dry canoe with you. Look in the mirror. Okay, Joseph Cecil Tanzini, with a monsoon of respect, I don't think you're in a position to be telling anyone to look in the mirror when it comes to relationships. You're not Mr. I try so hard in my relationship, okay? So let's let's go, glass house. Glass, me glass house, you glass house. You're the glass house. Talk to me about relationships. You got a woman who adores you. She'd do anything for you. You have a real partner in life. And what does she want from you? Take me to the waterfall. But no, you can't take her. Because you had some overstimulated snorkeling experience. You think, you think when your marriage is over that you're going to find somebody that just caters to you no matter what, that you're not going to have to work at it? It's going to be like psyched to go to Applebee's with you every Friday night and hear the same football stories about how you rocked in high school? I did rock in high school football. You want to check tape? But whoever that person is, you have to listen to their stories too or they're not going to go to Applebee's with you. You're not going to have someone to go to Applebee's with. You'll be sitting by yourself eventually at Applebee's all alone. And who wants to go to Applebee's by themselves? You know what, if anyone should be mad here, guys, it should be me. I am having a real fight with my wife, okay? And it's not fun feeling. Look at, I'm talking in circles. I'm on an island. I'm getting island fever now. I'm starting to lose my mind. This is an early sign of things to come. What we need to do now is get focused and stop pointing fingers. You're a problem. 
Okay, so maybe the approach wasn't the best with the guys. I think the women, probably, they were connected a little bit more. But the point is this. you got to get some people in your life. Sometimes you can just be blind to where you're at. And other people in your life really helping you and being there sometimes makes a world of difference. You know, we can emotionally just shut down to avoid the pain. Nobody likes pain. I don't like pain. You don't like pain. But unfortunately, when we shut down to avoid the pain, we also avoid any chance of real growth and maturity in our marriages. And we can so often have wounds that have been lingering for years that maybe we thought were, 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 were cleansed and, and healed. I want to find out that, you know what, there's still a little bit of residual left. It's not all the way gone. And then infection sets in, and it's not healed. And it's important that you, in your conversations with each other and getting people in your life who aren't afraid to say the things that you need to hear, it's important that you find out what those things are, what's created the wall, what's created the barrier, what's put the obstacle up, so we can tear it down and connect in the way that God intends for us to connect. Uh, It's so important, like Jeff said, that you figure out what those walls really are, because once you can identify them, then you can really try to attack them. And one of the areas that was really blocking, I I believe, our intimacy, uh, I will refer to as past hurts. Uh, We have been together for a long time. I met Jeff when I was 18 years old. We've been together for 38 years, almost. Um, So we, we looked at it like, wow, I know everything about you, and you know everything about me. And we were sitting down doing an exercise in a marriage class, and it really caught us off guard because we thought, I know everything about you. This is, this is going to be an easy exercise. Well, that wasn't a very easy exercise. So in the middle of this exercise, uh, we had to talk about you know, some uh, memories that we had from each decade of our life. And we ended up talking about something that had happened in our, uh, in our relationship from 30 years ago. And we talked about it, and I thought it was completely dealt with. And when we talked about it for the second time, we realized, wow, we didn't really talk this through completely the first time. There was much more clarity and more to work out. And it was so obvious that there was a huge wound, and it was very infected because it had never been really completely dealt with. It brought intense emotional pain. Um, because that's what sin does. It, it pains you, and if you don't really deal with it, um, it hangs on. Uh, and, and when you don't do things God's way by really dealing all the way through, it, it's going to hang on to you, and it's not going to let go. It doesn't go away. It's going to come up eventually. Uh, and I really believe Satan really did not want us to find this. He did not want us to realize that this was impacting us for a while. And my attitude was, I don't want to go through this again. I don't want to talk about this. It is too painful. Um, I, I really don't want to deal with this. But I, I knew in my heart that God was saying, Florence, you've got to deal with this. And, you know, the amazing thing happens when you, you think something is going to push you further apart, it actually does the opposite. And from that time, we, pray, we never prayed so much together. We fasted together. We poured over scriptures together. We grew in our appreciation for grace and God's patience. And, of course, we became much more emotionally intimate. So my question for you guys is, you know, what's what's it going to be for you? What's necessary for you? What do you need to uncover? What do you need to reveal? Uh, Where do you need to go? What's the topic that you avoid talking about 
because you know if you go there, it's going to be tough. What conversation do you need to have? Because whatever it takes, it is worth it for your marriage to be whatever God desires it to be for you. And you've got to put that work in and decide to go there no matter how afraid you are. Don't fear the demolition. Knock the walls down. So when, when Mike finally finishes that, that demolition, the house is barely recognizable. It's really just a shell of what it used to be, but the owners are really happy. Not so much because of the way it looks right now, because they know that what's coming is a renovation, and that's what's going to be awesome. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take about a five to six minute break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about renovation and what it, what it means, how you can get your marriage to a point where it's really stellar, we really want it to be. So about five minutes or so, we'll come right back. Thanks. Darling, I will be loving you till we're 70. And baby, my heart could still fall as hard at 23. All but gone and my memory fades And the crowds don't remember my name Check, check, there you go when my Okay guys, come on back in We're going to get moving along here So we don't overextend our time Okay, why don't you go ahead and grab a seat Because I know we'll be able to get some uh, refreshments And whatnot in just a few minutes here So I know for us Going through the inspection and the demolition was a painful, but it was a really great experience, and we learned a lot from it. And it really made us get deeper and uh, created a lot more opportunity for intimacy. And we rebuilt on a much better foundation than we had started off with. But one of the most important lessons that we learned in that process is about acceptance, the need to be accepted. Because everybody loves to be accepted. And when we're not accepted, we rebel. And sometimes in our marriages, if we don't feel like we're being accepted by our husband or by our wife, then you end up with a very rebellious marriage. And at worst, or at best, I should say it's a disconnect, at worst, it's a divorce. And we all want to feel those arms around us. And in friendships, that's really important. But you know what? If your friend doesn't accept you, you can just go get another friend. If your wife or your husband doesn't accept you, you can't just go get another marriage. And so we've got to work on this accepting each other. One of the biggest barriers to emotional intimacy is a failure to accept the person that you're married to. 
And that's not to say that we should accept unrepentant sin because we shouldn't. But there's got to be a place where you accept each other for who they are, how God made them, how God wired them. And often the reason why we don't get there is we really don't get to know the person that we're married to. We have this image of a mind of what we would like them to be or who we wish they were, but we don't really understand who they are. And it results in a conditional love. And you begin to think like, well, I'm going to really love you and give you all my heart when you change or you do this or you do that, and you become more of what I would like you to be. You may not say it, but you might be thinking it. And even more than that, you might oftentimes be showing it. And I'm not saying that things don't have to change because I think they probably do. But look at God's love for us. You know, in Psalm 36, in verse 7, David says, How priceless is your unfailing love. David felt confident of God's love because God knew him deeply. And he was able to say, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Unfailing love is unconditional love. God can love us unconditionally because he knows us perfectly. And in marriage, your past, your history can sometimes really be an obstacle or a hindrance to emotional intimacy if you allow it to be. We can ignore and we can oftentimes downplay our past or our spouse's past. And when you do that, you really miss a great opportunity to get closer. And let me tell you something. Really knowing your spouse is a huge intimacy booster. And the efforts we make to really know each other and accept each other builds a safe place in your marriage, just like you feel with God. There's little worse than feeling unsafe in your own home. In your life experiences, your highs, in your lows, the things that you've felt, the tears that you've shed, the, the chains that need to be broken, the deep secrets of the heart, all of this has to come out. It's got to be revealed. And so again, that question, how well do you really know your spouse? How have you let yourself be known? The more we reveal about ourselves, the more intimate we become. We all have a past, and that past has considerable bearing on your present and your future. There are certain life experiences, for better or worse, that have really shaped who we are. You might think, well, I've got worse. That's okay. Praise God for the power of a new life in Christ, right? But whatever the case, intimacy will increase if you can talk about it, but not just talk about it, really learn to listen and accept who that person sitting across from you really is and why they are the way they are. If it's not sin, understand this is who they are. Uh, some of the principles that we're sharing with you tonight, just so you know, uh, they, they hit us at every station, whether you're newly married or you've been married for a long time. If you're newly married, take these principles and learn. Don't wait to be married 10, 15 years and all of a sudden you think, Oh, we're, we're distanced from each other. Take those principles and put them in now. Hey, if we've been married for a long time, it is never too late to change and work on our marriages. Um, as we build our marriages, we really do need to know ourselves and what's important to us 
and know how to communicate that to our spouse. Uh, like Jeff said, understanding what has shaped us, acceptance of who we are and who we are married to, and understanding each other. Uh, love cares more for others than for self. Uh, in my own life, you know, I've been a disciple for 31 years, and even though I've been following Jesus for more than half of my life, and my life completely changed when I made that decision, there's a whole life that was before that that really made an impact. And I had to realize, wow, that impact was a lot more than I, than I had thought originally. Uh, and I'm going to share that with you now because I think it's important, not so much that, I mean, it's good you know me, uh, but you, you really need to dig into your own heart and make sure that you know what has molded you and also that that's expressed to your spouse. It would be very odd uh, if Jeff didn't know these things about me. Uh, growing up, my, my brother that was a year younger than me uh, got into drugs and alcohol at a very, very young age. Uh, and we lived in a community where you would have never known what was really going on in our house. Uh, he was dealing drugs out of my house. There was stuff hidden all over the place, um, out of my bedroom window, and he took my two younger brothers, and actually that's who helped him to deal drugs in high school. Uh, there was constant fighting, chaos, pain, police visits, embarrassment at school, violence, tears, threats, humiliation, confusion, um, and ultimately a heroin overdose, death, and him leaving a daughter and a family behind. So, you know, that, that doesn't, you don't go through that and that's like, oh, no big deal. That impacts you and that is, needs, needs to be known by my spouse and we need to understand that. My role in the family was I was trying to bring peace and joy and fix something I could not fix. At the same time, my mom was ravaged with a disabling disease. She couldn't even walk. Uh, she would crawl to the bathroom. I'm holding down the house as a high school senior, working, taking dance classes, and trying to figure out how I could leave as soon as possible. So what did I learn? I learned to escape pain. I learned how to lie to cover up my pain. I learned how to look out on the outside because I can't add to any more, you know, there's enough issues here. I need to just, you know, act like everything is okay. I can't add to this chaos. So what this has taught me is that, you know what, differences in your younger experiences play a huge role in your marriage. You need to be aware of those. Not knowing these deep parts of your life or in particular your spouse's life, and Jeff will share his, they will stunt your emotional intimacy in your marriage. Talking about the facts isn't enough. Jeff knew the facts. He knew my brother. He knew my brother, jo you know, he knew the facts. He knew some of what happened in my home. But it's not about knowing the facts. How did it make me feel? How did it impact me? How did it create fear in me? How did it change my behavior? How did it impact my decisions I made? How did it create weaknesses in my character because of the things that I was around? You know, the Bible says that the truth will set you free. And, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians it says that love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. And I think of also in 1 John 4:16 it says we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. You know, that same freedom that I, get, I got from being honest with God and I get from being honest with God, I need to have that and I can have that in my marriage. The acceptance and the love that I feel from God, that it doesn't matter what I did or what my home was like or what I've been through, I can give that to Jeff and I can get that in my marriage. And that is so important, that acceptance, that understanding of who we are. So my question to you guys is, you know, what's your story? Does your spouse know it? Do they know your experiences? 
you know, how your heart reacted to those things, the pains and the fears? Is there acceptance there? Is there understanding of the impact and what it, what it did to you, how it's changed your personality? It, it totally uh, impacted my personality. Uh, it makes certain things difficult for me. Uh, and those are important things that I know, but also important that, that my spouse know. You know, the thing that I, I love is that God doesn't make mistakes. And we have experienced the things we've experienced for a reason. And we're in the marriage that we're in for a reason. So that we'll grow deeper in, uh, in our intimacy with God and also with our spouse. And he chose who we were to be with. Uh, but this takes no ordinary love. It's going to take understanding God's love. So I grew up with a very, very unhealthy view and image of marriage and relationships. My family life was pretty much a disaster. My parents used to fight constantly. My father was an alcoholic for my entire life. And uh, I never really wanted people over at my house. It was just not the, not the place to be. I wanted to get out. I never really wanted to be there. And uh, my parents got divorced when I was in high school. I was a junior in high school. And I remember that was really traumatic for me. And I, kinda, I saw it coming for years. It really wasn't a shock, but it was still pretty traumatic. And uh, right after my parents got divorced, we were living in Colorado at the time. My sister, who's a year and a half younger, and I and my mom moved back to New York, where we're from. And I had just gotten my driver's license. I, I drove. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a mess. And uh, at 17, with my father out of the picture, he completely just dropped us. There was no child support. There was no encouragement. There was nothing. Just basically, you know, here I am. And so I'm basically like leading the family now at 17 with my mom, who is a wreck, and my sister, who was a kid. And so it was a really, really tough situation. And growing up that way, and with that background, and then now being that way in high school, I was extremely guarded. I was shut down. I was fearful. I was clueless. And I didn't have the slightest idea how to have a relationship. And so my whole girlfriend history was really bad. I never had good girlfriend relationships. I would sabotage them all. I wasn't happy with my life. I didn't know how to have a relationship. I was bitter. I was resentful. I was embarrassed. I was frustrated. And I had no vision where I was going in my life and no clue how to have any kind of a relationship with anybody. Would I be able to love somebody? Would I be able to trust them? Would they love me? Would they trust me? What do I have to offer a relationship? Would this even work? Would she accept me? And I remember I met Florence in 1979. We dated for six years before we got married. And I had these questions all the time. Like, where is this going? Because every one of my relationships up to that point, I was shipwrecked in some way, so it never got to that point. But this one kept going. So now what am I going to do? And we got to the point, praise God, because we became Christians before we got married. Because I don't know where that would have led to. But even entering marriage as a Christian, which I did, I was only three months old as a Christian, but entering marriage as a Christian, I still had fears and doubts. How is this going to work? I believe that God could make it work, but not a clue how. And over the years, we revealed a lot of things to each other concerning our past that directly related to our relationship now and would really come into play in the future. And it's not always easy. But it's essential. You've got to be willing to accept who we are without Christ and how we were raised and how our past thinking had really influenced a lot of who we are and where we're going. And the practice of, of acceptance 
and unconditional love, that's an ongoing practice. You don't do it once. You don't set it and forget it. It keeps on going. And we're, we're always learning and we're, we're relearning how to build a life together and how to take these two different lives and mold them together. Now, one little word of caution. If you've got something that you need to reveal to your husband or your wife, and it could be potentially difficult or painful to share, and maybe even more painful to hear, then I advise you to get a lot of advice as to when and how to share that. If you do that, you'll be okay. But when you get to the point where you feel like the marriage is strong and it's healthy and it's vibrant, then a new door is open for you, for both of you. Because at that point, you won't simply be surviving, but you'll be thriving. And a big part of that thriving is having a unified vision. We're going to go ahead and close out with that point. What is the purpose of your marriage? Does it exist simply to bring you pleasure or happiness? Is it just to have somebody to be with? There's nothing wrong with happiness. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with having somebody to be with. But there's a deeper meaning and a purpose for your marriage. As a Christian marriage, your marriage ought to be able to do three things and do them really well. One, bring you closer to God. Being, bring God closer to others. And the third one, to be able to impact people. And we talked about the idea that, that two can be one, and it happens in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that that happens is through your vision. Clear vision is really about two becoming one. And your vision, when you think about it, your, your eyes are an amazing thing because you've got two eyes, right? But somehow it brings everything into focus and you see clearly. With one eye, you don't see too well. But with two, it all works. What makes for a good vision? It's both eyes working together. Both eyes healthy. You might need glasses for that. That's okay. I do. She does. A lot of you do. But ultimately, your eyes are working together for one unified vision. In marriage, it's the same way. We can be blind and stumble and fall if we close our eyes and lose sight of what God has given us. With that kind of vision, your marriage is headed off a cliff. We can lose all of our depth perception. If only one spouse has their eyes open in the marriage, if only one spouse is willing to see where things are at, if only one spouse is willing to say, let's work on this, let's do the things they said, let's inspect, let's, let's tear down the walls, let's, let's rebuild. It takes both of you together. Like your eyes will only see clearly when the two become one and they work together. And like a pair of glasses, sometimes you need help. So get some people in your life that can help you over some of the weaknesses and the shortcomings. It's why we have each other. It's why we have this church. It's why we have times like this. And as important as that is, it's not always the easiest thing to do. So how do we get there? A couple of things to think about. One, glorifying God. Your vision means in some way God's got to be glorified. In good times and in bad, God always has to be lifted high. We are more apt to glorify God when things are going really well, right? Amen, God, look what you've done, rather than when things are going poorly. God, what have you done? <laughs> but it's not God. We get ourselves into a mess. But you know what? God can be glorified whether things are going great 
or things are going great or all, uh, terribly. We've been through a lot. We've been through miscarriages. We've been through siblings dying, parents dying, lots of moves, a church crisis, our own crisis. A lot of these things pull the pull us apart. But we've had a vision from the beginning that, you know what? Through thick and thin, good and bad, God is going to be glorified through our marriage. And we wrote a book several years ago so that God could be glorified. We didn't want to write a book. We didn't intend to write a book. But we wrote a book because of what God had done in our marriage and how God was glorified. And we've had a vision that we want to help other marriages as well. Uh, with that thought of glorifying God, um, it's very important that you ask yourself, you know, do you see God being expressed or reflected through your marriage? Because that's the goal. If he's not being expressed and people aren't seeing something different, then you need to think about that. You know, is your marriage bringing attention to God? Are people saying, what is it that you have or what is it that you do? They need to, you know, we need to be showing God is involved in our lives. Like in the opening video, the purpose of our marriage isn't to make each other happy, but it's to make each other more like Christ. Is that what your marriage is doing? Do you have that vision for your marriage um, that anything that you're going to put the effort in so that it will grow and it will prosper and that you will get each other to heaven and that you'll also make a difference in this world. There's so much junk out there about marriage. We need bright marriages to show people what it really can be like. And like Jeff shared, even in your toughest times, you can shine. In our most desperate times is honestly, I think, when God was the most glorified. And we can't wait till it's all fixed. Sometimes we think, well, when we get everything in order or after we've even been married for a longer amount of time, you can glorify God from the day that you get married and shine bright, and you've got to make a decision that you're going to fight for that. We can't lose vision for us. We've got to fight for us. We've got to prioritize us, and whether it's in praying together, the practices that you've been taught over and over again, the basics of discipleship, practicing them together, and persevering together. God will be glorified. And the second part of that is that you know not only do we need to glorify God, but we need to make sure that we're impacting people around us. And, you know, like Jeff shared, it really takes both of us. It can't be just one. Both need to spur each other on. We need to have the motto, and I feel like we are to, together we are better. We are much better together. That is why God has us together, that together we really can uh, change the world. And we've been fortunate enough to see, I mean, my goodness, uh, couples, families, marriages, uh, lives, radically changed because we decided to reach outside of ourselves. It's not about us just having a good marriage. It's about this marriage impacting other people so they see God. I've been with people that were signing divorce papers, totally settling for mediocrity, hidden secrets in their marriage, generational patterns uh, that they were continuing and they didn't see any end in sight. And I've seen those marriages radically changed. But that took us deciding it's not just about us, We've got to impact others. We aren't better by doing it God's way. We just have a power and we have tools from him that we need to not keep to ourselves. You know, we've also got to think about the next generation. Because if you've got kids, there's the next generation. And there are kids looking and they're watching you and they're seeing, what do you do? What's your marriage like? How's mom? What's, what's dad doing? What do they think about? What do they do? What legacy are you going to leave? For a lot of us, the most powerful may very well be our kids. It might not be some great thing you do out there in the world and 
some, you know, life-changing thing that you bring to society. It might just be your kids. What a great living legacy. Because your kids watch you like a hawk. And they want to see what is this Christian marriage all about. God has blessed us in the bo- with, with the boys that we have abundantly. Taylor and Jonathan both married to, to Christians. Their, their marriages are in great condition. I mean, you really can't ask for much more than that. didn't happen by itself. You've got to start thinking about it now. What do my kids see? What do they hear? From my marriage, what is their impression of marriage? You know, it's never too late. We have a few couples in the church in Connecticut who've become Christians in their 50s, and they've got grown 50s and 60s and have grown children. And we're trying to teach them, you know, it's never too late. You know, or you might think, I don't have kids. Well, it's never too late to be working on your marriage so that when you have those children, you can show them what it really looks like. Uh, I'm so grateful that we've had this opportunity to show our children that marriage is awesome, amazing, long-lasting, it's fulfilling, it's full of joy, it it takes work. Um, Is that what we are really passing on, God's plan? And we have a lot of other alternative plans out there. We need to show people God's plan. We need to plant seeds of hope, breed security in our homes. And I know really watching my kids take this on has been such an incredible source of joy. I know for both my boys at their weddings, both of them shared with us that it was your companionship, your relationship that inspired us to be married. And, you know, as a parent, you're like, okay, I can die and go to heaven now. This is, this is you know, just I wanted what my parents had. It's like, oh, my goodness. Well, they've also been able to impact their friends. I know Jonathan just got married in January. Three of his groomsmen were guys from high school that weren't a part of the church that came down to Georgia to be a part of his wedding, and they were blown away, and they couldn't tell me enough about how impacted they have been by the choices that Jonathan made and, and how he dated and who he dated and how he was going to build it. The impact that it's had on my family. Uh, a lot of times our families won't comment on how, how the, it's impacting them, Uh, But recently, my sister-in-law said, you know, what is it that you have done? How come it works in your marriage and with your children? And I was able to share with her, and she's trying to study the Bible with me. But it's just amazing to see that we can really pass on something that is so cool. And I know even getting to talk to my kids, my... uh, the one that just got married, Jonathan, they've only been married nine months, and they already were like, we need a getaway. So it's like they're, you know, like, all right, you want your little getaway. It was so cute to watch them carve out a weekend to go away. The other one just came back from a baby moon. That's the new thing. Before they have their baby, instead of a honeymoon, they're going on a baby moon. But I just love the fact that their marriage after God is a priority. And I know and I have great faith that they're going to pass that on to their children. Jeff and I didn't have that. We didn't have God's blueprint. We didn't have God's vision for us. But we were able to break the chains. And that's only because of the grace of God, and so can you. The next generation are the future for you and for your family. So pass on to them a vision of hope. You know, we shared earlier about one of the visions that became a unified vision. It wasn't originally. It was this idea of going to Scotland. And so we had been planning this for many, many years. We actually finally went. So there's, there's all of us there in Scotland. <laughs> You're able to pull it off. That's my, my daughter there on the left with the glasses. 
And, uh, well, wouldn't be too much confusion for me. But anyway, so the one that she's got the arm, and that's my, my middle son that's just married. And then the couple on the other end, that's my oldest son, Taylor, and his wife, his wife, Mary Lisa. But it was great to be able to see that vision come together. We're really excited about that. And we didn't have Hannah yet. That's right. So he wasn't married yet. So a couple of things just to think about. We're going to close out right here. Three quick things. Keep the focus on God being glorified through your marriage, no matter whether it's going great or not going so great. Your vision needs to reflect that. What are we doing for God more than what are we doing for us? Because that's the purpose of marriage. More than pleasure, more than happiness, for God's glory. And keep yourself in good spiritual shape. That's what the second thing. Because a godly vision and a godly marriage requires you to be godly. And so if you're not doing well spiritually, don't be surprised that your marriage isn't doing well either. And you probably don't have any vision for it. Keep yourself in a great place. And then lastly, celebrate every victory along the way. Even little victories. If there's some little thing you're doing better than you did a week ago or a month ago, celebrate that. Always see where and how God is working. And when you notice that God did something, whether it be big or small, pause and praise. Say, God, I know this was you, and there's many more to come. Lift God up. And so I really hope all of this helps. I know it's a lot, but our marriages can be different than the marriages that we see in the world because the love that we have is different. And from from God, the love that we have is no ordinary love. We'll close out with this.
Wow, uh, very impressive. Jeff and Florence, thank you so much. That was really amazing. Uh, we just appreciate so much uh, the, the challenges you put forward, the vision, uh, just being able to see our marriages as far different uh, than what they probably are. And uh, just being able to share your stories and your honesty and, um, and vulnerability, uh, just very, very inspiring. Uh, so grateful that uh, you've made the, the trip out here uh, to Westchester, again, back home in Westchester, and uh, uh, look forward to, uh, to hearing more. Uh, this is uh, just part one. Um, part two is tomorrow night. We have a dinner dance, uh, not here but at the uh, Pelham Community Church, uh, not too far away from here. It starts at 6.30. Uh, it is free, but you do have to sign up. So um, I know most of us have. Is there anybody here that still needs to sign up for the dinner dance tomorrow night? Anybody here that needs to? Okay, uh, you can do that. Uh, Kevin Davis, can you just stand up Can you so everybody knows who you are? This is the man to talk to about signing up. Uh, literally, you're sending an email to his email address, which is creativedisciple at gmail.com, spelled with a K because it's Kevin. So it's K Kevin Creative Disciple at gmail.com. But I believe there was only one person, Vincent, so you guys can hook up. Ah, all right. Okay, that's great. So tomorrow night is the dinner dance, uh, again at 630 um, at the Pelham Community Church. And then on Sunday... Again, at the Pelham Community Church is the Sunday service. And uh, it is, uh, people have asked, is this just for marriage? No. Uh, the Sunday service actually is for everybody. Uh, it's going to be titled In His Presence, and it's about living in the presence of God. Uh, so it is not just marriage. It actually is for everyone. So uh, that, again, is at the uh, church uh, in Pelham, Pelham Community Church at 1230, correct? 1230. And Jeff will be preaching. So we will hear from Jeff again on Sunday. Again, uh, let's thank Jeff and Florence one more time for just a tremendous evening. And we will see you tomorrow.